0: I think we have an interesting number for bio-based plastics for example. Bio-based plastics for the moment represent only two percent of the plastic production worldwide. So it means that if we were actually to produce all the diapers in the world for from bio-based plastics it wouldn't be possible. There is not enough material out there to do this. So that's the key concern is we're looking at bio-based materials that are relatively young sometimes and are not well established and so if you want to compete with polypropylene where the process has been optimized for decades and that has a very high efficiency then it's harder to do this PLA is a a good example I've been in the industry for more than 20 years and it's almost for how long PLA has been around and it's still growing but it's not a mainline solution yet.
1: phrases that gets thrown around in conversation around sustainability is circular economy or circularity. At a high level, this concept is based on three main principles. Eliminating waste and pollution, circulating products and materials at their highest level, and regenerating nature. And according to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, it is underpinned by a transition to renewable energy and materials. It decouples economic activity from the consumption of finite resources. And it is good for businesses, people, and the planet. But what the concept of circularity looks like for the disposable hygiene industry isn't as clear. Of course, the industry is moving towards more sustainable products. But many producers and suppliers in the industry have different ideas of what that looks like. Add to that the differing expectations of outside forces like consumers, industry groups, regulatory bodies, and governments, and it can be a little confusing which direction or directions the hygiene industry should be moving in. Luckily, Bostick is here to help. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene the podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the disposable hygiene industry. I'm your host, Jack Hughes, Global Digital Marketing Manager for Bostik's Disposable Hygiene Business Unit. On today's episode, we're going to dive into the topic of circularity and disposable hygiene. When we were planning this episode, we were originally thinking that it would be one episode covering resource management, improved production practices, and sustainable end-of-life solutions for the hygiene industry. But once we finished the interview, we quickly realized we had enough for over 90 minutes of discussion. So in order to not make the episode too long, we decided to split it into two. In part one, we'll cover the basic concepts of circularity, and then dive into resource management and touch a bit on improved production practices. Then, on our next episode, we'll dedicate the entire discussion to sustainable end-of-life solutions for the disposable hygiene industry. So, with that, we'll dive into the interview. Joining me today to wrap up our discussion on sustainability and disposable hygiene is is Christoph Morel. Christoph, you're kind of our sustainability expert here in Bostic Disposable Hygiene. So, w- welcome back to the show.
0: Thanks, Jack, and really glad to be back. It's been a while. Just wanted to interject to the idea that I'm a sustainability expert. So, I'm not a sustainability expert by training. I would say I've been really digging around to really understand what's going on, and so I, you know, I think I've gathered a lot of background and experience so that I can be a, a kind of a reference within the company. But I'm not an expert.
1: Well, I would I would say you're our go-to guy. You're a go-to guy due to That's your your knowledge works. and background.
0: That works for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> so we we covered this in the first two episodes, both with you and Ann and then uh, a little bit with Luke and Safe in our last episode. But just to refresh our listeners, can you touch on what challenges uh, the in, the industry itself and the industry players are facing when it comes to sustainability in disposable hygiene?
0: So. Yeah. I mean, the key challenge is if is when you start asking yourself. So, is a let's take the example of a baby diaper. So, is a baby diaper a sustainable way to um, manage the early age of a baby? And the first thing you would think is, yes, it is very sustainable in the way that it really brings a very good societal benefit to using a, a, a disposable diaper. It's been proven that it has increased the health of uh, babies. It it's definitely is a very convenient way for parents to take care of their babies and maybe if you if you take the old sexist uh, view that uh, women take care of babies so at least it has helped them you know take care of babies and be able to you know achieve a professional life as well if you look at feminine hygiene products it's bringing more equality to women because they can use disposable products during their menstruation period and, and still go to school or go to work. And same would go for uh, adult inco products. They definitely bring in a good quality of life to um, elderly people. So on that standpoint, disposable hygiene articles are really definitely sustainable in their societal Uh, Benefits. But it's clearly also an environmental burden that we have with these uh, disposable products because they are single use, they are plastic made, and uh, they create a lot of waste and they need a lot of resources to be produced. So I think there is this kind of dual effect of a good societal benefit and negative environmental constraints.
1: Yeah, and that's the challenge. That is the challenge. There's the, obviously the benefits, which maybe sometimes get overlooked because we're so focused on the negative societal or negative environmental impact. But they obviously serve a purpose. And it's more than just convenience. As you said, it's allowing people to do things they wouldn't normally be able to do without these products. So with those challenges in mind, in in your view, and I guess in, in Bostic and Arkham's view, What does the industry as a whole need to do to improve the environmental sustainability of hygiene products?
0: So I think from what I just said, the key areas for improvement, so to speak, would be, first of all, we need to produce, let's say 600 billion, 700 billion articles per year you know, femcare products, baby uh, diapers, adult Inco products. We need to produce that many per year. And and the market is growing. I mean, if you look at the market penetration, more than 50% of the population in the world does not have access or cannot use uh, hygiene products. So it means that there is growth, which is good on the economic standpoint, but it's it means that the um, amount of articles that we're making today is is only going to grow. So we need to first of all understand how we're going to find all the resources, the, the energy, the raw materials to produce all these articles, and to potentially you know, try to go away from the use of fossil resources to make these articles. The second aspect is understand how we're going to address the waste that is generated by these 600 700 billion articles and what's in there because you know a hygiene product is designed to uh, absorb bodily fluids and they make up more than 70 percent of the weight of a diaper that ends up in the bin so we need to find a way to handle all this waste and so these are uh, critical challenges and so as an industry we need also to make sure that we optimize all our processes to produce our raw materials uh, the finished articles so that again we rely less on fossil energy and we reduce our uh, energy consumption and all this should be done without or by still keeping in mind that the, the products the articles have a social benefit definitely as we said But the expectation from the consumers is growing. And so we need to make sure that all of these aspects on the environmental uh, burden are managed by still creating a a growing consumer interest and a a growing societal benefit. Otherwise, if the product is only um, an environmental burden and has no social benefit, it's going to disappear. So I think we group all these challenges into those four aspects that I mentioned. So management of the resources, management of the waste, optimization of processes, and keep the societal benefits at, at, at their maximum.
1: And the thing that stuck out there is the industry itself wants to grow. It it Mm -hmm. needs to grow to deliver those societal benefits to places that don't have them. I mean, there's several markets or regions in the world that aren't saturated with products. And particularly when it comes to adult incontinence and feminine hygiene, that is a detriment to the people living there who suffer from incontinence or are dealing with incontinence. But, you know, also women between the ages of eight and 50 who mm. can't go to work, can't go to school, <laughs> things like that. And so we need to be able to find solutions, you know, products for them to use. But oftentimes those places aren't places that have the s- sanitation disposal industries in place where they you can easily dispose of these things and have them be away from where people live, food sources, water sources, things like that. And it's a challenge that the industry is going to have to deal with as well. And we'll definitely dive into this later, what role industry players play in the end of life process outside of some of the obvious ones. But that's what stuck out to me when when you mentioned that, because it kind of clicked for me right there with, yeah, we still need to grow because there's a whole population of people that haven't been reached and aren't receiving Mm -hmm. the benefits of these products. Mm -hmm. So we we mentioned the four things that Bostic thinks and and Arkama thinks are the responsibility of the industry to meet in order to continue moving forward, but also doing so for the benefit of society as a whole and the environment. So we know what we think, but what is the industry
0: doing? So if we look at the resource part, right, so so making sure that we manage the resources needed to make the product. So one of the aspects that is obvious in the industry is that, you know, since diapers were created more than 50 years ago, definitely the amount of materials, raw materials needed to make a diaper has dramatically decreased. So a diaper now is like 30 grams or 35 grams. And I think the uh, generally admitted number is that the amount of resources has been reduced by 50% over the last 25 years, if, if I recall correctly. So. That's definitely a a good point from an economical standpoint, because it reduces the cost of of the article to deliver the same or even an improved function. But from a sustainability standpoint, it's a critical aspect that, you know, for the same function, you now need half of the amount of resources that you needed um, a few years ago. So that's great. The concept of relying less on fossil resources that can be seen on some of the products that are being put on the market, where the film or the nonwovens or sometimes the superabsorbent are relying more on bio based resources. So we see PLA film, we see cotton top sheet materials we see the concept of mass balance being used for the wovens or for super absorbents. So this is, you know, the part where we're trying to reduce our dependency on fossil raw materials. And for the energy part, you know, making a dipole, then we see a lot of manufacturers promoting their switch to renewable energy or promoting the creation of solar farms to... Uh, Power their plants, etc. So that's uh, that's work in progress, I would say. On the waste management part, so all of the disposable hygiene wastes, uh, post-consumer waste, goes into the general municipal waste uh, feed stream. So it's either landfilled or incinerated, or in a lot of countries still it's dumped. And so some companies within the supply chain are trying to find a more sustainable ways to, to manage this waste. And so we have experiments in progress to look at how the diapers could be recycled instead of just a landfill or how the diapers could be composted again instead of just just landfill. So that's the other aspect. And, and in terms of societal improvement, I think performance of the products are increasing. Consumers express their concerns about the presence of toxic substances, etc. So manufacturers are trying to make sure that they regain the trust and they convey this uh, societal benefit of their products and also compared to what is considered as reusable products, for example. And then manufacturing processes optimization again, This is a type of sustainability improvement that goes also together with financial benefits. If you're using less energy, again, that's good from an environmental point of view, but that's also good for your numbers. So that is definitely something that every company is looking at in this industry.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we talked about it with Luke right. on the last episode right. where, yeah, there's certainly the society benefit, the environmental benefit, but it still has to be you know profitable for businesses to continue running. But and and,
0: and, and that's the key point. I mean, any any sustainable improvement should also bring its share of, of financial benefits. You cannot run a diaper recycling process if, uh, in the end, you're not making any money out of it. Uh, That's not sustainable. That's uh, philanthropy.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that financial benefit is starting to catch up. We've been talking about sustainability in the industry since I've been at Bostic over five years now. But the financial side, the demand from the customers and really the expectation for the customers, but... More importantly, the willingness to pay for sustainable products is now finally caught up where I think it's really kicked the industry into a higher gear to really focus on it more and start to make, you know, developing more because there is the benefit, the financial benefit is there now. So we know it's important to the industry. We know they're working on it. We know why they're working on it, because it's good for the environment, but also because there is the ability to make money and the demand from customers now and users, but one of the challenges I still kind of see in the industry is from producer to producer and even from supplier to supplier like Bostic, there tends to be different definitions for what sustainable really is. To some, it could be compostable. To some, it could be recyclable. It could be biodegradable. It may be just using fewer resources or renewable resources. There isn't really that alignment, and that makes it a challenge for suppliers like Bostik. But I think that lack of a firm definition of what sustainability is is really continuing to be a challenge for our industry.
0: So first I would say there is an aligned definition of what sustainability is, but what you were referring to is an aligned definition of what is a a more sustainable diaper or more sustainable absorbent hygiene article is. So. And and what the right
1: solution is for end of life. Yeah.
0: What the right solution for the design of the product, what is the right solution for the end of life. So the the bottom line is that, you know, the the main difficulty is really to to align on the right definition of what a more sustainable absorbent hygiene article should be. And, you know, there is not even alignment on the idea that maybe a, a reusable hygiene article should be even better than a disposable one we all use pretty old life cycle assessment data on com, that compared uh, disposable diapers and washable diapers data from 2008 i think and the conclusions of these data were as usual when you do a life cycle assessment they depend on the scenario and in some scenarios disposable diapers still had a lower environmental impact than a washable diaper if you start you know washing at uh, half loads and use a dryer instead of hang drying the products etc so there's not even a clear-cut conclusion there and So if we go back to disposable hygiene products, I don't think they can even be one single option to look at. All contributions uh, should be welcome to, again, reduce the amount of resources and energy needed to make the products, reduce the dependency on fossil resources, and understand and improve the end-of-life scenarios. I think those aspects are the ones that everybody should agree on now the critical um, question is to understand you know what is the weight of each and how that relates to maybe the size of the article again click inco diaper versus a very slim panty liner those products may have a different uh, way to become more sustainable so i think the, the industry is really looking at all options experimenting, all options, and and trying to understand where to go. I think some other industries have been clearly, uh, are much more advanced. Paper, uh, the paper industry, I think, I was uh, looking at numbers and I think almost 70% of the paper is recycled in, in Europe, and we know what to do with recycled paper. And there are collection systems in place and there are recycling companies that can do this. When you go to plastic, uh, the numbers are much lower. I think uh, in Europe, it's about one third of um, plastic materials are recycled. In the US, it's much less. And even when plastics are recycled, it's not all plastics. You really have to work on the design of the article so that it's easily recycled. You know, PET, for example, it's much easier to recycle than polycarbonate. So there is a wide uh, variety of solutions. And so we haven't come to these questions and these options for baby diapers. There are complicated uh, articles using many types of plastics, many types of materials, you know, fluff, superabsorbent, plastic, polypropylene, polyethylene. You know, if you think of recycling this, then it, it's very difficult. And the way paper is collected, is separated by consumers from the the general municipal waste, is already it has been going on for like decades. We would have to take these kind of habits also for diapers. So, so we're really in the infancy and. Uh, of this whole process. And, and we're trying to find technical solutions. We're trying to understand business models and how how this could work. I think this is a, a, a clear reason why you know, the industry is not aligned on one single path.
1: And that reminded me of one thing that D.N. Nelson and Nick Carter from Avgal brought up when we had them on to talk about the future of the hygiene industry is in a place where I live in Wisconsin, in the United States, we have a very large freshwater lake down the street, easy access to to clean, fresh drinking water. In California right now, in Western United States, we have a, a, you know very severe drought conditions. They're talking about rationing water. So here, reusable products that you need to wash, you have to wash, are feasible and, and make sense. Over there in California or in Africa, where they're having drought issues right now, Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. So yeah. yeah, overall, we need the industry to be looking at different end of life solutions because it's going to vary by location and and by conditions and and situations because there's no one size fits all solution for everybody. Mm-hmm. Even what we'll, we'll talk about what we think or what Bostic thinks and and others in the industry too think is the best solution, but even that probably isn't feasible everywhere. And so it's something that's going to continue to evolve and and develop. So. I wanted to move on to something that we hear about in the industry, that this is what we've kind of taken as Bostick's strategy and approach around sustainability. And we hear this a lot. And if you've been on our webinars, we've heard you talk about it, but the the idea of of circularity. So we're going to dive into kind of the different aspects of circularity here. But I want to make sure that we have a set understanding and definition of what circularity and, and a circular economy looks like or is in the hygiene industry. So, can can you dive into
0: that a little bit? If you look at a disposable hygiene product, on paper, it's kind of the opposite of a circular uh, product. Meaning, you know, you extract. Crude oil, you make plastics, you make a diaper, you use a diaper and you throw away the diaper. So that's a, a linear model. And so a circular model is really looking at, first of all, don't use so much crude oil. And second, instead of throwing the diaper away, find a way to re-inject all those raw materials that you extracted, all these products that you made back into the cycle. And I think the best way to look at it is to reason with the carbon. Carbon is the basic atom for most of our organic materials. So if you look at the principle of a circular model, it's all about keeping the carbon on Earth. And so carbon comes from crude oil, coal, gas, right? So the first thing we need to do is find a way to use less of the coal, crude oil and gas for our carbon, and use more of the recycled carbon from plastics, from other materials, or bio-based carbon coming from plants, renewable carbon, okay? And the second aspect is throughout the cycle of making the raw materials, making the products, designing the products, find ways to keep the carbon or reduce the amount of carbon used, reduce the amount of energy used to produce the material, and maybe redesign the product so that it uses less carbon and finally at the end of life typically all the carbon that we have in our products actually goes in the atmosphere as co2 so the key principle at the end of life is to keep that carbon from going in the atmosphere and put it back into the cycle either through recycling or actually Recycling is the only real uh, option to put it back into the, the the cycle. Composting is is a way to keep some of the carbon on on Earth by transforming it to biomass, but still composting has, you know, creates CO two. So I think that's how I would simplify the circular model: keep the carbon on Earth. And so for for a hygiene product. Keep the carbon on Earth, again, means using less fossil raw materials, so less fossil-based plastics or fossil-based superabsorbent or fossil-based adhesives. Then, in the design of the product, make sure that the design is not only there to meet the function of the product, but also is altered to get to a product that uses less materials, or is designed to at the end of life be more easily recycled, for example. So the design phase is very important because that's where you can control the future of your product on the market. The third aspect is during the production of non-woven, during the production of diapers, etc., make sure that processes are optimized to reduce waste, reduce energy used. And finally, end of life understand how you can avoid incineration or landfilling which all creates co2 and you know release all that carbon that you extracted back into the atmosphere
1: so if i'm following you correctly then the three three big points there would be resource management which you talked about at the beginning yeah. manufacturing processes responsible manufacturing processes doing that efficiently and and effectively and then a viable and proper end-of-life solutions?
0: I would add the design phase. I mean, I would definitely add the design phase. And, and it makes sense. I mean, a diaper is there to absorb liquid and avoid leakage and please the consumer. So that's its function. But if you add to that functionality, the fact that at the end of its life, it needs to be either ripped apart and you know, one part only is, thrown in in a landfill and the other part is put back into the cycle, then at least you're you can do this at the design phase because once your product is marketed, it's more difficult to do. So the design phase is very important. and And I think you know if you look at the, the packaging industry, for example, plastic packaging, in the past, packaging structure has evolved considerably to improve the functionality, you know, create, a barrier to oxygen, create barrier to oil or to water or create a, a film that can be printed, you know, to provide the information. And the, the way to do this was to actually add several layers. You know, each layer had its functionality. So that added complexity. And in the end, there's no way you can recycle this, these packaging materials, because they are too complicated, they have different layers of different uh, materials, sometimes even metal, different plastics, etc. So it's becoming very difficult. So the design phase is all about saying, how can I bring this barrier effect and still making more easily recyclable? And this is where you start hearing about uh, all PET packaging, for example, with with a, a certain PET film for oxygen barrier, a certain PET film for printability and the PET adhesive in between. So that's the mono material and that can only be done at the design phase. And it's designed not only to be meet the needs of the function, but also to meet the needs of a better recyclability.
1: Okay, okay.
0: And so that element should be happening in the diaper industry as well.
1: So, building off of that concept of monomaterial packaging, how realistic is that in hygiene? I Again, go back to the episode with Nick Carter and, and Deanne Nelson from Avgol. That was a solution that they threw out there as a potential design, as you said, that can ease in the end-of-life process because all of the materials will be the same. But how feasible is that?
0: So, if you look at the hygiene articles, there are all sorts of Plastic layers, but also cellulose fluff and superabsorbent polymer. So, I think you're really, you know, looking at a very complicated product. So, if we go back to the concept of monomaterial, material, then let's focus on the plastics, right? Maybe that would be a good first step. So, the different plastics that are used are polypropylene for the non-woven, and sometimes more complicated bico fibers, polypropylene polyethylene or, or even PET polyethylene etc you have the ADL material which is uh, even you know, more complicated so to speak with PET you have the films which are polyethylene but contain also calcium carbonate you have the adhesives that are made from different materials you have stretch films you have elastic strands which are polyurethane type products. So it's quite complicated already. And so you may have ways to kind of simplify this by either putting everything into polypropylene, like polypropylene non woven and polypropylene films, which are to be a bit more noisier, maybe, or you could do with polyethylene, polyethylene films and polyethylene non woven might be technically uh, more challenging, but that's Seems doable. How efficient would it be? I, I, I'm not sure. There, there are, I mean, there are articles out there uh, you know, suggesting these uh, these options. So people are working on it, but not not foolproof, <laughs> not perfect. No, 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 no not perfect. But, and and so the way it would potentially help is that if you are able. In a recycling process, if you are able to separate the different plastics, or separate the plastics as a global fraction, separate the superabsorbent, separate the, the the fluff, at least the plastics are more um, valuable because they are made of only one type of polymer. Whereas if you end up with a blend of different polymers, then it, it will have a, a lesser quality. So that that's the the reasoning behind. That, I, I think. That's the reasoning behind it. It's not.
1: Yeah, it's not everything's gonna be polyolefin or something like that. It's having the most amount of materials in the article being one, mm. one type of plastic that can, then when you separate it, can easily be recycled. Mm. That makes sense, okay. So, So going back to the three points that you, the three other points outside of design that we talked about for circularity, the resource management, manufacturing processes, and end of life. One of the solutions within resource management that you've, you've talked about and mentioned a few times are are biosourced or renewable materials. And I think many of us would agree that this isn't a perfect solution, but it does you know decrease the the industry's reliance on fossil fuels and and other resources. So it is a good solution. So if the industry or manufacturers are going this route, the aim I guess would be to make as much of the product as renewable as possible. So how can they do this?
0: Yeah, so some of them are already doing a little bit of it through launching of niche products that contain uh, bio sourced raw materials. And some are even claiming the bio, the renewable content in their products. How are they doing this? They're moving to what is called plant-based chemistry. So uh, one aspect is again, to move to plant-based chemistry through the use of, uh, polymers or ingredients that are actually extracted from plants or polymerized uh, by plants or extracted from plants and polymerized. Uh, you know, a good example of product that is being used in our industry is PLA, polylactic acid, you know, made from lactic acid, which is derived from glucose and starch from corn, right? So it's plant-based material that is then polymerized to give a polymer. Another example is what is called BioPE. BioPE is a polyethylene made from ethylene, which is actually derived from ethanol, which comes from sugar cane. So it's also a bio-based material and a bio-based material that we in the industry know very well because it's actually polyethylene, similar to regular polyethylene that we've been using for decades. And there are other products out there, you know, ingredients that we also can use in our formulation of adhesives and that we could talk at length about the launch of our new products, but that's not the purpose of, of today. There are also interesting uh, products. There was an announcement recently, uh, polymers called PHA, polyhydroxyalkanoids, were considered to actually produce non and so those polyhydroxyalkanoates are very interesting. They are actually polymerized by through an enzy- uh, through an enzymatic reaction by bacteria. So you're not extracting a monomer, you're extracting the the polymer actually. So that's very interesting and they have very good, interesting properties. They are biobased and they're actually biodegradable even in marine environments. So that's that's a, a, a very interesting aspect for the end of life as well. So that's one way to look at it. Look for ingredients that are biobased derived from from plants. So there are two concerns with this type of approach. The first concern is that I would say not every bio-based material is actually better for the environment because most of the time we're looking at the environmental footprint as only the carbon footprint, right? So the CO2 emissions that are either generated or not generated by using a plant-based material, and and what you would expect is that if you use a plant-based material, since the plant before being converted has absorbed CO2, then you would expect the plant-based material to be better for the environment because it it's associated with lower emissions uh, than an oil-based equivalent. But environmental impact is not only the CO2 emissions, it's also the amount of water that's being used, the amount of land that is being used to produce the material, and all sorts of chemicals, etc. So in the end, you could end up with a a bio-based material that uses so much water to be produced that it has a much bigger environmental impact altogether than a a synthetic equivalent. I mean, in the textile industry, it's a struggle between cotton and polyester. Polyester is a synthetic material made from crude oil and cotton is a natural fiber. But cotton uses a lot of pesticides, uses a lot of water to be grown. And so in the end, it's not clear which one has the lowest environmental impact. And so we have to be careful when we look at our raw materials for for hygiene. The second aspect that is critical is that I think we have an interesting number for bio-based plastics, for example. Bio-based plastics, for the moment, represent only 2% of the plastic production worldwide. So it means that if we were actually to produce all the diapers in the world for from bio-based plastics, you, it wouldn't be possible. There is not enough material out there to do this. So that's the that's the key concern is you know we're looking at bio-based materials that are relatively young sometimes and are not well established. and and so if you want to compete with a polypropylene where the process has been optimized for decades and that has a very high efficiency, then it's hard to do this. PLA is a, is a good example. I've been in the, in the industry for more than 20 years, and it's almost for how long PLA has been around. And it's still growing, but it's not a mainline solution yet. And, and so one of the options that's being offered to the industry to overcome this kind of scarcity issue uh, of the bio-based materials is the mass balance concept. So mass balance is, is a general concept, but in this case, the mass balance concept is all, is about injecting, so to speak, a small amount of bio-based monomers, bio-based raw materials into the petroleum-based, oil-based resources. So what you end up with is, in the end, a, a bio-based material with a very low percentage of bio-based content, but through what is called a mass balance certification process, what you can do is allocate this small percentage of bio-based material to a certain amount of your production and claim that this production is 100% or 50% bio-based attributed content through this mass balance certification. So you can use and sell the value of using your bio-based monomers initially. And so this is typically what's happening with the electricity that you purchase from your local uh, supplier. If you want to be responsible and state to your electricity supplier that you want to contract with 100% of renewable energy, for example, they can give you that, I mean, they can sell you that but if you live next to a coal powered plant the electrons that you know feed your home are still going to come from that coal power plant but through your willingness to pay a little bit more to get Uh, a contract that stipulates that you have 100% of renewable energy, you help your electricity supplier to create a new wind farm or to create a new solar farm uh, and to add renewable electricity to their overall production. So financially, you are helping them, they're giving you your contract. So it's a certificate to say you have 100% of renewable energy, but technically you don't. So it's certified. It's exactly the same situation with a mass balance certification in um, in our industry. By paying an extra amount of money for a certified material, you allow your supplier to actually use more and more of the renewable raw materials that they use to a a point in the future, that is the hope they will be able to use sizable amounts and you can have actual renewable products in your hands. So it's the kind of the start of a virtuous process towards adding more renewable carbon into into the uh, industry.
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you haven't done so yet, I highly encourage all of you to sign up for our Attached to Hygiene newsletter. Every two weeks, we'll notify you of the release of our latest episode. And starting in the coming weeks, we'll be sharing early access to some exclusive content we've created around sustainability. And we'll continue sharing exclusive content in the newsletter throughout the rest of the year. All of this content will be shared with our podcast listeners and subscribers before it is shared on our website or in our other email campaigns. So if you want to stay up to date on everything we know about important industry topics like sustainability, absorbent core, feminine hygiene, and others, check out the link in the show notes to sign up for our Attached to Hygiene newsletter. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Bostik and is hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me with the help of Paul Andrews, Shell Emery Chernis, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. As always, you can stay up to date on Bostic and other industry news by following us on LinkedIn at Disposable Hygiene Adhesives. You can also email us with questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes at hygiene at Bostic.com. That's H Y G-I-E-N-E at Bostic.com. We'd also like to extend a special thank you to our guest for this episode, Christoph Morel. You can find Christoph on LinkedIn, or you can feel free to address any emails to him directly at the hygieneandbostick.com email address I just mentioned. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.